I want to think with you for just a few minutes. This is a short sermon. It's not a Sunday morning sermon. But I want you to think with me for a moment about what we are told here. Where in verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared. Now, that word translated host ought to be translated armies. And if you think about it for a moment, you see something very striking. It wasn't a silent night. It was a declaration of war. It was the coming of the armies of heaven from the very throne of God to declare war. All right. To declare war to people who were in bondage because at that time the bondage was not to the Roman Empire. The Jewish people had been in bondage ever since 609 BC when King Josiah failed to hear the word of God from a Pharaoh and got involved in a war he had no business being involved in. And from that point on the Jewish people came under the yoke of foreign armies. First Egypt, then Babylon, then the Medes and Persians, then Alexander the Great, then his successors, particularly two of them, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, and finally under the Romans. And they'd been under Roman yoke now for almost a century. And so people are restless under the yoke of Rome. They're not free people. The Jews were under a heavy yoke with heavy taxation and very few rights. And as a friend of mine who was a medical doctor uh, who was trained in Syria, once had a soldier get on a bus and hit him with a rifle butt. He had no rights. What's he going to do? And so what I'm saying is that in that world, that's the way that world was. But what I will submit to you is this. The reason that world was that way was there was a greater conflict. There was a greater battle. And a friend of mine whom I've known for, let's see, 56 years, sent me this book just last week. Uh, he and I took Greek together beginning in 1965, and he gave me an idea. And that idea, I would like you to look with me to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53. And my friend's name is Will Varner, and he's a seminary professor in Southern California. And um, so Matthew chapter 26, looking at verse 53... And uh, we're going to look here at verse 52 to get in context, page 1545. He's the one that gave me this idea. I want you to see Jesus' words. When, when Jesus was going to be arrested, Peter pulled his sword out and he, he cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. In verse 52, Jesus says... 
Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But now, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Will Varner asked the question, do you think that the angels that were at Jesus' disposal as he is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane included the angels who stood and sang about his birth? And he says, in effect, why not? In other words, what we have going on at the announcement to the shepherds who were outside in the fields tending their sheep is not just the one angel who announces what's going on, but where, where we read there, suddenly he's accompanied by a great army, a great army of heavenly angels. In other words, they've come to battle war, to fight a war. Who are they warring against? They're warring against the gods of this world. You know, the world that we live in is not the world that God created. God created a perfect world, but the world fell into sin as a result of the sin of our first parents. And so chaos came into our world, and death came into our world, and war came into our world, and all of these horrible, horrible things. But there's something else that's very significant. And that is the heavenly hosts that had been assigned by God to various nations rebelled against God under the leadership of one that is called Satan or called the great dragon. And so what we have is that the world we're in is a world where God cannot do just anything. Let that sink in for a moment. There are things God can't do. Did you know God cannot lie? Did you know God cannot murder? He takes human life every day, but he can't murder. You know that God cannot steal? God cannot commit adultery. God has bound himself by his own holy nature because God does not and cannot sin. And that explains a lot that's going on in the world. Have you ever wondered why the God that tells us uh, to, to regard him as a father who is eager to hear and answer our prayers. And by the way, the little handout mentions some of the extraordinary answers to prayer that Sandy and I have seen in the course of our lifetime when I once decided maybe the Bible really is true after all. And maybe those promises that are in the Bible work. And the result is in that sheet that's passed out. But the trouble in our world is this. Satan opposes God, and God cannot violate his own word. And God honors the legality of Satan's actions. You wonder why Jesus tells us to pray to God as our Heavenly Father who wants to bless us, who wants to do good things for us. And then in another parable, he tells us that we should pray with persistence and perseverance because he says it's like a man comes to your home. Just imagine this tonight. You finally got your children and grandchildren to sleep. No easy task on this night. 
And all of a sudden, what happens is somebody begins to knock on your door. And you think, who in the world is that? And then you, 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 you lie there and you think, Lord, I hope I was dreaming. And then suddenly you hear. And then you hear it again. And finally, you, the children are waking up and you think, oh, what's going on here? And he goes out and he opens the, the window and he says, what do you want? And this is what the man said. He said, I've had some friends who showed up and I don't have anything to feed them and I needed something. My daddy had an expression, it's enough to make a preacher cuss. Now, Jesus tells us when we pray, that's how we have to pray. If we ever want to see our prayers answered, if we ever want to see miracles in our time, that's the way we have to pray. We have to pray the way that man with no shame, can you imagine how shameless it was for him to come in the night and wake up the whole house because he needed something to put before a friend who had just arrived. And he tells us, Jesus tells us, if we want to see our prayers answered, we've got to pray that way. What is it really saying? How do you put these two things together? They seem so contradictory. And the answer is, the God of this world is not our Lord God. The God of this world is the great rebel angel who came to get the title Satan. That's not really his name. We don't really know what his name is. Uh, St. Jerome translated the, uh, the, uh, into Latin and gave us the name Lucifer, but that's not his name. His name is not Lucifer. We don't know his name. I don't want to know his name. I don't want to speak his name. The point is that prayer encompasses two mysteries. One is a loving father who, if you ask for a fish, is not going to give you a snake, and so on. A loving Father who delights to give us good things, wonderful things, who wants you, by and large, to have enough money and enough health in order to do what He's called you to do. Though sometimes the fine print says you're going to be in the book of Job. But in this world where we have a God who delights in us, who loves us, who wants to bless us, we also live in a world where there are supernatural, wicked forces opposed to God and opposed to us. And what do we find on the night of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Luke? We find armies from heaven. A heavenly army has come to accompany that one angel and to declare war on this earth. Not on this earth, but on the rulers of this world. The evil spirits in heavenly places, the principalities and the powers that are opposed to God. War is declared. My friend entitled a chapter on this, The Not-So-Silent Night. Because it's a declaration of war against the host of hell who are still with us but not exactly in the way they were before Jesus came and was born and battled Satan and defeated him when he descended into hell. So what do we have on this night, this wondrous night, when the angels are there out in the fields near Bethlehem and when the soul angel announces to them what's about to happen and suddenly... He's got backup. 
He's got a bodyguard. And not just a small bodyguard of, say, 12 people, but he's got a bodyguard of thousands of the armies of heaven declaring to the evil one, you're not going to be the God of this world any longer. We're going to defeat you by this baby that is lying in a manger. And that's why the shepherds come with haste to see this. And there they find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough for the animals. Why is he there? Well, my friend also speculates and says, you know, the rumors about Mary, who was pregnant, not by Joseph, and under the old law, he could have had her stoned to death, but he stood by her because he had been told in a dream that her child was begotten by the Holy Spirit and was truly the Son of God. So he stands by her. And imagine what it's like to travel that distance of maybe roughly 80 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, riding on a donkey and getting there. What would it be like? Is it possible, my friend asks, that the family of Joseph has heard the story of Mary who is pregnant and who got pregnant while being engaged to Joseph but not pregnant by Joseph and they didn't want to embarrass themselves. No, 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 you can't stay here. Have you ever thought how cruel and mean religious people are? Some of the meanest people I have ever met in my entire life are religious people. Wow! How mean and cruel can you get? The poor woman is great with child, we're told, and nobody will put her up. Wow, that just sounds like some churches I know. I pray not here. So what a night it was. Here is Mary's firstborn child, and he's born. And he's born there where the animals are. And he's laid in the feeding trough, wrapped up, and these shepherds. What a motley crew of people. Shepherds were looked down on. They didn't bathe. They lived outside for a long, long time at a time. And they come in. People often would run them off. And so what happens? They come. Isn't it an amazing thing that the very first people who were permitted to see God's eternal Son who was born of the Virgin Mary were a bunch of stinking, nasty people, lower class, that polite society said, we don't want you around here. You guys are all thieves. But isn't it amazing? Have you ever thought how the coming of Jesus turns the values of our world upside down? Where it's the lowly, it's the low down, it's the lower class that Jesus is displayed to. As the shepherds come and see the eternal Son of God, who is a true descendant of King David, born in a manger. May we pray. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to capture the wonder of that night, a not-so-silent night, when the armies of heaven declare war on the armies of hell. And Lord, we see the life of the Lord Jesus even in the earliest days, how a demonic, paranoid king who was a murderer sought to take his life. And Lord, throughout Jesus' life, people putting him down, 
He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Lord, that precious baby, that precious little baby, lying in a manger that night, that first Christmas, would you capture for us the wonder of that event? For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.